Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Sharpen Your Pencils edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the assignment editor at the Journal and host of the Press Gallery. And with me today on this Friday, February 13th, ooh, what an auspicious day, is a reunion of last week's panel. We've got city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. And provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. So this week we're all budget, which might normally seem strange considering that we don't actually have a date yet for the 2015-16 budget to be delivered, but we have been told over and over and over again in the last several weeks by the Premier that these are not typical days. We can debate that, but why don't we start by getting some facts on the table? Uh, can someone recap the budget news that Premier Jim Prentice and Finance Minister Robin Campbell delivered on Wednesday? Sure. Uh, well, it, it was interesting. It came at the end of a press conference that the Premier had called. Robin Campbell got a question from a reporter about you know just how big the cuts were going to look like, and of course none of us really expected to hear a number. Mm-mm. And then there it was. Uh, so what Robin Campbell said was that it was going to look like about 9% cuts in the in the 2015-16 budget. What that means is it's not a, it's not a, you know, a, a wholesale 9% cut across the board. Uh, typically what the government does is it adds about a 4% for population growth and inflation to the budget. So that would have been added to the $44 billion budget. That's not going to be added anymore. And then on top of that, they're looking at another 5% cut across the board generally speaking there's there's really not much that's uh that's been sort of taken off the table in that regard so uh and we've heard that that those cuts could come will come in education and in health um which they would have to i mean because those those two departments account for a significant portion of the budget more than 50 percent. yeah so how unusual is it to hear details like this of the budget so early usually those things are details are locked up pretty tight we, yeah. we poke and poke and poke and can't get any information and suddenly it is unusual to actually have a number like this you know they'll be leaking things out i think what happened on um th- this week was that this news conference was held after the government all-party committee uh that is the government members that is voted um against giving uh, money to the or returning money to the child and youth advocate and that was $275,000 to pay the salaries of people who had been hired to investigate the death and injury of children in care that was approved by the committee last year. So the government looked really bad on this, uh, that they were actually, this is the government members were actually cutting or not giving money back to the child and youth advocates. So I think to reinforce the point um, from Campbell's point of view and from Jim Prentice's point of view was, look, things are so bad right now. Well, how bad are they? We'll be cutting 9% out of business as usual from the budget. In fact, it's a 5% cut, as Marion pointed out. Yeah, and it, it wasn't just the uh, the child and youth advocate cut. I mean, this came also right hard on the heels of the announcement that Edmonton was withdrawing its bid for the Commonwealth Games mm. because the province had pulled its former uh, enthusiastic support for the Commonwealth Games bid. And I think that may also have played a part here because there was a, a fair bit of anger in sort of the business and political class in Edmonton. I don't know that the public was all that all that disappointed, but I, I was, but I but, seem to be in the minority. But, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's underlining the point that anybody who has a handout right now should expect to get it slapped down. So what's the strategy here? Why would they be doing this, this now so early? I guess you've kind of outlined some of the details, but I don't know. Is this really the right way to go about d- d- getting ready for a budget? Well, this is them setting us up for bad news. They're saying, as Paula pointed out, if you put your hand up for more money, you're going to get it bitten off, basically. Yeah, slapped down might not even be Yeah, Yeah, um, they're making a point, of course. And well, and, and consider what happened to the Auditor General. That same Absolutely. committee that denied the money to the child and youth advocate 
gave over $500,000 back to the Auditor General from the budget of 2014, not, not next year. This isn't new money. It's old money that they'd had that was taken away from them that they said that they couldn't uh, do without. And then Jim Prentice stood up at that press conference and said, no, 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 things are really bad. There's no money. He's not getting that money. And he overruled that committee. Um, and so, that, so that'll, be our, that'll be our next to- yeah, to topic. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just, before we just go into that committee, has anyone actually run the numbers on this? Like if they're doing a 9% cut or 5% cut, like out of the $44 billion budget, how much money is that? We're looking at over $2 billion. Mm. And now that the shortfall, according to Prince, is going to be $7 billion in terms of the, the price of oil uh, being so low. We'll see what it actually works out to, but if you're looking at maybe $2.5 billion in terms of actual um, spending cuts. Mm. And, and, and but, but the spin of this, I mean, remember, this they came out and said, we're looking at a $21 billion deficit, and you do a double take, it's like, well, no. They're saying $7 billion over three years if the price of oil doesn't go up for three years. And you look at that and you think, like, excuse me? So you're going to go out and say we need to cut $21 billion? I mean, that's a completely imaginary number. So then you have to question, what's the strategy there? I mean, it's it's setting us up not just for this cut, but I suspect also setting us up for the tax increases, because then he's going to say, see, we cut 9% and we still need to raise taxes. Okay, so so what? that was one of my questions, like, does this cut but get it us? Does but that, it won't be taxes on corporations seven. or... <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah. They've ruled out at corporate, uh, corporate tax increases or royalty rate increases. It's going to be income tax and sin taxes or a fuel Pro- tax, things like that. And lots of people are talking about the potential for the health care premiums to come, come back. back yeah. Which Ooh. are the worst kind of regressive um, stupid those, tax. Those kinds of things. But certainly it's this isn't a, a problem that's going to be solved just by cutting. Mm. Um, and also we know that he, we're likely to see a deficit. Um, yeah, be he's been talking money. about uh, running deficits um, and he's been talking about getting advice from economists to do that because it'll be better and it'll keep Alberta out of recession. Mm. But also it means pressure on uh, public sector workers um, moving forward, um, that those who don't have contracts are going to find the government's going to be really tough to deal with in terms of there'll be no increases at all. And there are 81,000 public sector workers that are set to negotiate new contracts in the next year. And you can assume that the non-union public sector workers, sort of the mid-rank civil servants, are also probably not going to be planning lavish summer vacations. Uh, this explains why we considered a variety of titles for this week's episode. <laughs> what, what were some of the ones we kicked around? There's Grim, no more gr- money. Yeah. Grim Jim. That was and from doing Graham's more, column. And doing more with less. We are. Was the, uh, the comment that the Premier repeated, I think, four or five times in his news conference, our availability uh, this week. And Scorched Earth. That was that would that would be the Rachel Notley uh, suggested yes. uh, title, I think. Yeah. So who who should be worried about this 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 budget matter? Everybody. I think. I mean, I think everyone's going to feel it. Uh, certainly, it it doesn't look like ever you, you know that there's there's going to be much good news for folks out there. I mean forget the schools. Um, it doesn't look like that's going to get off the ground anytime soon. Public sector workers are going to be facing cuts or rollbacks, potentially layoffs, um, trying to achieve some of those savings through attrition, that kind of thing. Like there, there, there could be programs that end up getting shut down. I mean, once that budget comes out, there are going to be, um, you know, a lot of people going over it line by line to see just exactly what has been, uh, cut from yeah. this province. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to be good for the post-secondary sector. It's not going to be good for municipalities. It's not going to be, and it's not going to be good for, for the business sector, for the, you know, for people who depend on Albertans to spend money in their restaurants and stores, especially in Edmonton, where so many people work for the public sector. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to call it scorched earth, though? Do you think that it's actually going to be scorched earth? Well, they're setting us up <laughs> for a scorched earth. We'll see what actually happens with the budget. But again, they're being very blunt, this, giving us an actual number um, it's going to be interesting to how they're actually going to defend it and roll it out. 
But um, as Paula pointed out, if they give us these huge numbers of $21 billion over three, over three years, oh my goodness, people will go, okay, whoa, things are really, really bad. The government knows, knows what's best, basically. And you're going to have, um, of course, the opposition, liberals and NDP saying the government's cutting too deeply. You're going to have the wild rose saying they shouldn't be raising taxes. And in the middle, it's going to be the government just sailing down that road, uh, convincing the most, I guess, Albertans that... Um, they're doing what needs to be done. And this morning, uh, Miriam had a front-page story uh, quoting David Terrace, political scientist from uh, Calgary, saying, in, in a sense, but the opposition being in such disarray, the Prentice has, is, it'll be bulletproof in the campaign trail, even with bad economic news. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's, there's some truth to that. I think we should call I have a new title for mm-hmm. this. The, the Fifty Shades of Grey edition, because oh. I, think, I think that's what it is. I think it's setting Albertans up to be thrilled at being punished. You know, I, I think the message is somehow it's our fault, and now we have to uh, now we have to be spanked for it. I'm glad we didn't actually use that one, because I think the visuals for our listeners like would just be, would be too much. So we had talked about how the Children's Advocate and the Auditor General fits into all of this. You were in that committee meeting, Miriam, and, and I have to ask, as a result of all this, with the Premier getting up and saying, no money for the children's advocate and that money that the committee agreed to give the auditor general, I'm taking it back. What's the point of these committees? If well, that's it- the question a lot of people are asking. Um, I mean, Graham had a great column the other day talking about this issue and trying to, to you know, because I think sometimes Albertans get lost in the nuances of all of this kind of stuff, the procedure of it. Um, but Graham had a really good column sort of trying to explain why it's so important. For for those of us who are under the dome and covering the legislature and covering the, the Tory government, we know that very often there are things that are directed from the premier's office. But what hasn't happened is what happened on Thursday, which is a very blunt statement from the premier saying, yes, they had a discussion about, you know, who they're going to give money to, but I'm not going to allow that. Mm. Uh, You know, essentially ordering, ordering one of his caucus members to go back to the committee meeting, which has been scheduled for Tuesday to rescind the money that the committee democratically voted to give the Auditor General. I give back to a, the a, Auditor a General. A Tory-dominated yeah. committee. And mm-hmm. I, what's important to understand here is that the Auditor General does not work for the government. He does not work for Jim Prentice. The Children's Advocate does not work for the government. He does not work for Jim Prentice. They are independent officers of the legislature. They work for us and for the entire body of the legislature. And that's why their salary and compensation are to be handled by an independent committee that supposed to be made up of members of all the parties. Not and they're the private members. I mean, these are not government members. They're not ministers. They're not members of the cabinet. They're not members of the executive. They're private members. So the Treasury is supposed to take the committee's advice, basically, as to the direction right. of the budget and that the, sort of thing. The, the added wrinkle here is that there are supposed to be members the wild rose. of the uh, Wild yes. Rose, of the official opposition, are <laughs> supposed to be on the committee. And of course, with the two members who were on the committee representing the Wild Rose crossed the floor and haven't been replaced, Gene Swazdesky, the speaker, says there's no precedent to replace the them when the House is not sitting. So this extraordinarily important committee, which provides oversight of independent officers of the legislature, has no members of the official opposition on it, and they can't be appointed until the House sits again, which isn't going to be until after this meeting. Of course, it's all pro forma, because on a Tory-dominated committee, they're going to do what the Premier tells them to do. But it is fundamentally undemocratic thing and it's disgusting. I think the last time I saw this 
was when Premier Allison Redford mm-hmm. reversed a committee that a, a group of came forward and gave themselves essentially a pay increase. Uh, that was an increase to the MLA compensation, and the and Premier Red. This was like shortly after the this last was the election. transition allowance. Yeah, or, or that's what. Yeah, and she came campaign. back and said, "No, absolutely not. We're not doing that." And they had to come back and basically do what they're going to have to do on Tuesday. Put yeah. forward like. a new motion. The other thing that's important to note is that the uh, Auditor General and the Child and Youth Advocate, their mandates are legislated. They have duties under law. Uh, And the arguments that both of them made were that their ability to complete those duties, the, the duties that they're mandated to complete under, you know, law, under the, under the legislation that governs each of their roles, will be compromised without they're having this money given back to them from the, their budget I mean, last the, year. The Auditor General, I mean, remember that this is his reward for that remarkable uh, report he did about Alison Redford and the invisible people on the airplane. I mean, Merwin Saher is an extraordinary public servant who served the people of Alberta extremely well in the last, uh, you know, 12 months. And this, so fine, he writes the report that is uh, that condemns Redford and Doug Horner. And, oh, look, his budget is slashed. Del Graff is responsible not only for investigating the deaths of children in care, but for investigating the rights of children in care, for making sure that children who are receiving protective services from the province, that their legal rights are respected and, and that they are, you know, not being abused while they are under the protective wing of the province. Uh, his budget was increased in the wake of the Edmonton Journal's Fatal Care series, which demonstrated fundamental flaws in the way deaths of children in care are recorded and investigated. As Miriam says, it is his legislated job to investigate those deaths. And when you cut his budget by a petty amount, a quarter of a million dollars, which is nothing uh, in the total sum of the budget. It wouldn't but even which is, make a ripple in the water. But like. which, is, but w- which may be everything to some child. So this is you one know, belt you don't think should be tightened, Paula. You Graham. Know, <sighs> yeah. Well, no, I, I would agree. And I, um, my colleagues have made the case very clearly and very well. And I, I've got to just reinforce it that. It's, it's annoying. We have democracy, so-called in Alberta, and you got this uh, arm's-length body of basically they represent the people. And in fact, of course, you could argue that uh, the majority of Albertans did not vote for the government. Fifty-six like percent voted for other parties, and these other parties are on that committee. And uh, even with the government, they voted in favor of more money for the Auditor General. And the Premier coming out and saying, "No, I'm going to reverse that." Um, it, you know, he's playing. He's playing politics, obviously, with this. He's playing to the crowd. Most people will say, good for him, because he's cutting, cutting back costs. But in fact, he's, sto- he's stomping on a really important uh, facet of democracy. And he does this. He did it again, la- uh, of course, last year. He talked about uh, term limits on MLAs during the leadership race. Well, that would be actually illegal, unconstitutional. He's backed away from that, obviously. But he did it to, to try and show people you know, that, that he's a man of the people, that he listens to them, and people should be kicked out of office after three terms. Um, so I think he does this. He, I think he, he must know people don't really understand maybe the nuance of democracy and what's important. But, you know, no one loves the children of Alberta more, no, more than, than Jim Prentice. That was something else he told us this week. No one, Sarah, no one in Alberta cares more about our children than Jim Prentice. Pl- plenty of platitudes, you know, do more with less, yeah. things like that. And people who are not in the, the government, people, the average person might think, you know, good for him for showing leadership. In fact, he's actually stomping on um, the democratic process. Oh, what are we going to see in the next week, honestly? I just, I don't even, I can't even begin to fathom. I guess maybe more details? Do you think we'll keep getting softened up like this with more details so that the budget itself isn't such a surprise? I think if they get more pushback uh, leading up to it, yes. When you get the unions, of course, saying this is going to be really bad for uh, public uh, services, 
you're going to see the government push back by saying things are so bad now, we've got to do something. I, I want to turn really quickly. Th- thanks for this. This was this was good. I want to turn very quickly to one piece of breaking news. We're not sure exactly what the reaction is going to be to this, but uh, this morning the Canadian Food Inspection Agency announced that it has found a, a confirmed case of a BSE in an Alberta cow somewhere. Don't know many details, but when we first had our first case of mad cow in 2003, it was a, an economic catastrophe for certainly Alberta cattlemen and, and, and Alberta's economy took a hit too. Wanted to just check in with you, everyone, about what your first thoughts are to hear that, you know, we've had another case. Our last one was in 2011, and I guess, but uh, I, I kind of went into momentary heart palpitations when I heard this. Well, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day, you know, um, back when we had our last, uh, you know, huge crisis in the cattle industry. Ralph Klein was premier and things were being, I thought, oh my gosh, is it 2003? Is it 2015? <laughs> I, you know, I remember I was in the press room uh, during that first bovine spongiform encephalopathy um, press. Good for you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll notice I didn't attempt it. I just call it BSE. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had to say it on the radio. Um, and I remember the horror. It was like war had been declared. I was in the press room when the word came in that the Americans had closed our border. And I remember, you know, Shirley McClellan, the agriculture minister, her face was ashen. I mean, it was devastating. I don't think it will be that way this time. I think that in 2003, we had deluded ourselves into believing that there was no background level of BSE in the uh, in the North American herd. I think we know that's not true anymore. I think we know that um, there are going to be scattered incidents, not just in Canada, but also in the United States. And I think we have a more... Um, rational response to it, at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, because, you know, we have had incidents since, since 2003, 2011, you mentioned. That so was the final one, the CFI said in its news release, was the last case 2007, in 2007, I think, and we've, had, we've been through, I think Paul is right, we've been through these in the last few years, and we haven't seen the border closed. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in the science about all of it. I mean, how does this keep happening? And I hopefully we'll get some reporters looking into that today. Well, I mean, some, sometimes it comes from contaminated feed. Um, sometimes, though, I mean, it can. it's like Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease in human beings. It can, in very, very rare cases, I believe, also uh, occur spontaneously. There have also been, you know, studies largely... Um, largely not supported of a link with chronic wasting disease. And we'll remember that I think it was last week there was an announcement that there'd been uh, uh, confirmed cases of chronic mm. wasting disease in, in elk, I believe. So yeah, I hard, hard to know. Prion science is really um, still very... It, it, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating frontier yeah. of science because it's it's a new kind of disease. And we've got and the Brown Institute at the University of Alberta, yeah. so hopefully we'll we'll get some some more information today. Anyways, I just wanted to. I didn't think we could do this podcast without just mentioning that. So let's move to good stuff from the gallery. BSE, not good, um, but good stuff from the gallery. This is the point in the show where we come to where we uh, suggest something we've enjoyed reading, watching, or listening, just our, amongst ourselves. Um, often, not always, has a political connection. Um, Graham, would you care to start us off? I don't have a link. It's uh, today. I was reading on Twitter um, uh, a post by Warren Kinsella, mm. you know, the, the liberal, um, I guess. Um, we'll provide the link. Consultant. Um, it was about the Sun Television News. Speaking of breaking news, uh, they've gone dark. That they're now shut down. And Kinsella's, um, you know, he's, he's a liberal, and he he was actually on the show uh, their station uh, debating with them over conservative points of view, and he said. People should not, who are cheering the demise of this very conservative TV channel, shouldn't be uh, cheering because we shouldn't be cheering the death of any journalism right now in uh, in Canada. 
And I thought it was, it was a good point. Even if you're not a conservative, um, it's not good to see um, voices uh, stifled, uh, no matter who they are. Absolutely. Thank you, Graham. We'll, we'll post the link to that. Um, Paula, you want to Yes, my, my favorite thing to watch of the week um, is a absolutely devastating little three-minute clip of John Archer, who's a CBC radio reporter, sometime host of Edmonton AM, uh, head of the, of the Legislative Press Gallery. It's a scrum that he has with Genya Lescu, who is a Tory MLA, a backbencher, who's a member of that legislative committee we were talking about, in which she's explaining why she voted to give money to the Auditor General, but to take it away from the Child and Youth Advocate. It's a great piece of accountability reporting. John just asks her these questions again and again, very calmly. And by the end of the interview, she says, I, I can't think straight to answer these questions, and sort of, <laughs> you know, pretty much runs away. Um, it's an extraordinary piece because it really just lays bare the complete lack of any kind of argument or foundation that she had for the decision that she made. Mm, okay, thanks. That that was a really interesting clip to watch for sure. I'm going to just jump in here. I'm going to suggest something. It doesn't necessarily have a political connection, although it's something. It's about Twitter and how one bad tweet can uh, ruin your life, and I'm sure that there are politicians who can uh, attest to that. It's from the New York Times Magazine, and it, it's called how one stupid tweet blew up Justine Sacco's life. She was the woman who got on a plane and heading to Africa and tweeted some inappropriate comments about the things that she, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to Africa, hope I don't catch age, but I'm white, it's okay. And it just, it goes over how she got on this flight 11 hours later she turned on her phone her world had blown up she lost her job because of it and, and he, he looks back at other, the reporter looks at other people who this has happened to and then going back and seeing a couple years later okay well how are they doing now our uh, colleague Stuart Thompson uh, shared this link and it was a really good read and uh, always a cautionary tale for people like myself about watch what you tweet so uh. Miriam what are you gonna link to so my choice this week is a really fantastic project put together by the National Post. Uh, it's called Silent No More. It's a project by Sarah Bosfeld and uh, Tyler Anderson um, with the photography. Um, what they did is they gave um, Aboriginal uh, girls in uh, Winnipeg, uh, which has recently become the focus of uh, a lot of um, national attention about its treatment of, of Indigenous people and, and those kinds of issues there. Um, it gave them each a camera. And um, they each t took a photograph and, uh, you know, there's a sort of a, a, a story that goes along with it. Um, just talking about their their concerns, you know, their worries about, you know, being being murdered, being kidnapped, you know, their their issues about, you know, staying in school and, and how, you know, how to get through all of this sort of um, tribulations that that they that these you know young women have faced in their lives um it was really remarkable and and i'd uh, encourage everybody to to take a look at it it's a great photo gallery of the young women too it was, yeah yeah it was really powerful. really moving so that's it for this week my gratitude as always to paula graham and Miriam for sitting down with me to talk albert politics no video clip this week so you'll just have to imagine all our facial expressions and hand gestures and scowls i look i look, I look fabulous today. everyone looks fabulous today i'm sorry you can't you don't get to see it you can connect with us via Facebook at the Journal's main Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at SEO Donald, Paula's at Politics, Graham is at Graham underscore Journal, and Miriam is Miriam Dina. You can hear previous episodes of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the Journal SoundCloud feed. Show's also available free on iTunes, so subscribe in the press gallery. We'll be there waiting for you every Friday whenever I get it edited. Uh, sometimes that's in the evening now just because of my new job, so I'm doing my best. We will convene again next week in the press gallery.